0: Dear Father in Heaven, we are met this morning to hear from Thee, to be fed from Thy living and abiding Word. Dear Father, we wish to abide in this Word ourselves, to, to stay in it, to to grow in it, dear Father. We know that as we abide in this Word, as we follow Thee, Jesus, we are set free. The truth does set us free, dear Father. This is so wonderful. This is the the... The good news that thy son didst come to bring to earth, to deliver to us. And, dear Father, we need to hear that even this morning hour. The truth that sets us free, that enables us to live different than the whole, the rest of the world, that is pursuing vain things, pursuing empty things, that, things that come to nothing, things of vanity. But, dear Father, we know that we have a great promise in thy word. So, dear Father, we are thirsty this morning. We acknowledge our need, and we're asking for an opening of thy word, a dividing unto us. We pray for those that couldn't be here too, dear Father. We pray that thy uh, spirit would be with them and visit them. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I knew this morning that uh, we probably would have fewer in number and I was thinking maybe that the 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 ones that would be here would be maybe a little bit older a little bit more seasoned in their journey of life and uh, I was thinking what would be an encouraging word to share with those that have journeyed now some years and um, the most encouraging thing I can think of that came to my mind, I I believe from the Lord, is a short section of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. So I'd like to read out of that with the Lord's help, meditate a little on it, and encourage you. So it's a long chapter, and I wanted just to focus on one portion of it. So I'll read the first two verses, and then we'll skip down to verse eight and read some verses there. Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. I'd like to skip down to verse 8, the account of Abraham. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city. I've read to verse 16 of uh, Hebrews 11. May God bless the reading of his word. Hebrews chapter 11. It's a familiar chapter to many of us. It's a beautiful chapter, it's a well structured chapter. You think it's got a very simple structure to it? Um, with the, with the writer of Hebrews defining right off the bat those first two verses that we read what he's going to talk about in the next 40-some verses. He defines faith for us and then he proceeds to go through the Old Testament in chronological order from the beginning and lay out specific examples, specific characters, kind of a short encapsulated life story with specific actions, things that they did by faith because that's Faith does result in specific actions. Faith does produce works. But it's worth spending a little bit of time here at the beginning just to look at those first two verses and think about what faith actually is before we get into the particular example that uh, I'd like to focus on with the Lord's help. The first verse says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Another translation uses the word assurance for substance. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I looked up uh, the Greek words in the Strong's and they, they could mean that too. So it gives me a better sense of, this is talking about within us. The, the, the state of being within us that is has a settled a substantial hope. Not this kind of vague, ephemeral sort of well, one day I know when I die I'll I'll go to heaven and and I don't think about it too much, but I just, you know, I know there's kind of warm, sentimental feelings and everything will be all right in the end. No, this is substantial hope. This kind of hope is uh, a hope that carries us through. It helps us to make difficult decisions, to put priorities where they need to be put, to, to leave when we need to leave and to go when we need to go. This is the kind of hope the substantial assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When you're convicted of something in the court of law, it means there's been evidence laid out. Convincing evidence laid out, the jury has made the decision, the evidence is clear, you're guilty of this crime. Well, think of it in a positive way, too. If we're convicted that the Lord's word is true and good, that means we've seen the evidence, that we believe the evidence that he's given us. That's the evidence of things not seen. This beautiful contrast here. So this is the type of faith that, that the writer of Hebrews talks about and the examples he gives, the specific examples, and then gives some commentary, some, some insight through the Holy Spirit into their motives, what they were thinking, what they, why they made the decisions they did. And verse 2 here, for by it, that is by faith, the elders obtained a good report. He's not talking about The elders of the church they're talking about all those that went before us those in the old time those that we Grew up in Sunday school learning the lessons of and you know soaked into our consciousness those those simple stories All of those people that trusted in God By faith by this substantial faith. This is how they obtained a good report from God obviously It's the same for us if we expect or if we desire to obtain a good report from the Lord for him to be pleased with us, as we end up in verse 16, for not to be ashamed of us, it is only through faith. Not through works, not through what we can do, but through faith that works, that produces, that will make decisions. We are so blessed to have the accounts that we do have, the the real word of God, the true accounts of people like Abraham, because we see the whole story, we see the weaknesses, the errors, the, the slip-ups. And then we see those moments of him reaching out and grabbing hold and just believing in God and God accounting it to him for righteousness. And this, this is a picture. This is a, an example. This is an understanding for me to understand. This is how I walk even now as a Christian in the New Testament. It is the same faith Abraham. I've said it before, and and I'll say it again. He is a a singular figure in the sense of, you know the whole account, the flood, what happened. The whole earth was gone uh, uh, to wickedness. God had to deal with it. There was one family preserved. And then after the flood, things are, you know, still. There's Babylon. There's all this... uh, Man's got a, he, his, his attempts is is he, he's spreading out over the, the earth. He's doing things, but is he seeking God? Is he looking after God? No, it's it's a, a kind of a, a Bleak time if you really look at it those first few chapters of Genesis after the flood and then kind of out of this swirling mist of you know, you think of that's a reflection of the world today the people just doing their all these these ideas and the pro- The world's problem is this the world's problem is that God calls Abraham and he calls him uh, personally and uh, with a specific call out of Ur of the Chaldees. Verse 8: By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. This is the commentary from the writer of Hebrews. He says he didn't know where he was going. My brother and my sister. You responded to the call of God, maybe many years ago, and when you responded to that call, you didn't know where it was going to take you, and you may be at a point, looking back now, wondering, I didn't expect it would get me to this point, or I didn't see this turn in the road. I went out knowing not, not knowing whether I, I was going, where I was going, and, and here I am. And there may be a sigh as you say that. I would urge you to not look back from this vantage point, from the midst of the, the twists and the turn, the dip in the road, whatever it may be. This is not the vantage point from which to look back. The vantage point is at the end of the journey. When you see the whole thing laid out from the, from the heavenly realm, when you see it all, this is how God has planned my way. In the middle of it, you're a poor judge of God's plan for you. As you wonder, how, how is this working out for, for, for God's glory and my good as I go through this thing or that thing? It seems my faith is taking more of a battering in this circumstance than, than I would have expected. Is this God's plan? I didn't know he would lead me this way. This is not the vantage point from which to judge how God, the the whole plan by which he is leading you. The the writer of Hebrews makes a special point of that. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises. They reached the end of their lives, and the things that God had told them, uh, great, grand promises, this land is your land, you will inherit it, all generations will, will be blessed through your seed. Promise did not come to fruition as they closed their eyes for the last time. If they had, from a physical, from a carnal perspective, from an earthly perspective, judged their lives, they might have been tempted to think it was a failure. But those eyes were not looking on the physical things. They weren't looking on the, uh, the sum total of the, uh, the account of what I've done and what I've accomplished from an earthly perspective. It was looking for something eternal, something heavenly that God still was going to do for them. That God still was building a heavenly city. By faith. Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. And again, you read that account, those accounts there, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they were sojourners. They were, um, the definition of sojourner is a foreign resident, someone who's living in a place that doesn't really belong there. Like, not even a permanent resident. We say a permanent resident in Canada, they're not a citizen, but they've got certain rights. A foreigner is someone the government at any time could say, okay, your application's been denied, you go back to where you came from. Not very settled. Do I invest something here? Do we build something here? We don't know if we're going to be here for long. They were sojourners. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. They, they lived in tents, he says, as in, dwelling in tabernacles or tents with Isaac and Jacob. The whole, him and Isaac and Jacob, no permanent place. He went up and down the breadth of the land Checking it out, as it were, seeing all God had promised. And at the same time, he has to buy a piece of land from the people, the inhabitants of the land, to bury his wife. Because he really has no place. He's got to pick up his tent and move it. And as you read those accounts, you get a sense of the challenge of this living, this this. You look at uh, the the, the slip-ups that Abraham had, and Isaac had the same one too, that slip-up of of when he went to Egypt and then when he went to Abimelech, the the Philistine king, of lying about his wife because his wife was very beautiful and he was afraid that someone was going to off him because they wanted his wife. He said, say say you're my sister. And Isaac repeats the same thing. He does the same thing. He says, Rebecca was very beautiful and he was afraid. And God miraculously, in all three instances, he intervenes, he reveals to Pharaoh, he reveals to Abimelech, no, 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 uh, this, this is mine. But you, you look at that, that error, that, that failing of faith, it's, it's, it's the, the temptation of the wanderer, the fear, as you look around. I'm going to be done, I have no security. Someone's going to come along and take what I value the most, what is most precious to me, my wife. So they really were wanderers. You get the sense, uh, there's not a lot recorded about Isaac, but he's the same one, too. Uh, I was reading last night the passage about him uh, having to reopen the wells that his father Abraham had dug because the Philistines had come and stopped them up after Abraham's death. Because I guess, you know, they didn't really like this large herdsman that had a lot of flocks and was kind of wandering around their borders. And so they kind of, you know, in, in a dry country, a well is very important, as we all know. And his father had dug them. And then it says he went on and he dug some new wells, and then he, it's very telling, the names of the wells, because I guess they wanted to name the wells so you'd know where they were and, and uh, which one he was referring to. There's three wells. The name of the first one, uh, let me flip it back here to Genesis. It's very telling. This, this life of sojourning. I think it's Genesis 26, here at verse 20, the herdsmen, so Gerar was this uh, Philistine kingdom there. The herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen saying, the water is ours. This is after Isaac had dug a well and he called the name of the well Essek because they strove with him. Essek means striving. And he digs another one called Sitna and that one means enmity, it doesn't say it here, but. Some of the commentaries say that's the word, what it means. And then he removed, and he finally had to dig another well, and he called the name of it Rehoboth, which means room. For now the Lord hath made room for us. So you can get the sense as he's digging these wells, he keeps being pushed by these people. He's got no permanent place. He, you know, when he, he comes and digs one well that, okay, he thinks this is going to establish. People come along, give him trouble, hassle him, he's got to move again. What a definition of a sojourner, someone who just doesn't have rights in the land that he is. I think if you read the passage about Abraham buying the plot of land for his wife, that's part of the reason he had to buy that land. He wanted to make sure in front of everyone that this piece of land I bought and I paid for, no one can come along later and say, it's not really yours. So sojourners. And Jacob, what a wanderer too, from up to, from up in Padanaram down the end of his life when Pharaoh asks him, how old are you? He tells him 130 years old. And he says, the days of the years of my pilgrimage have been few and evil and not like my father's. It's been a hard life, in a sense, he said. So you could say yes, by faith, they sojourned in the land of promise. They were sojourners. They were wanderers but hebrews the writer of hebrews does not focus on that does not focus on the hardships as as we ought not to either this morning as we come under the hearing of god's word as we think about what we've been struggling with god's not asking us to focus on those things but to focus on what they focused on looking beyond verse 10 for he they looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is god they looked for a city When you're living in a tent, you long for something a little more permanent than a tent, isn't it? Tents are not uh, the most convenient places to dwell in, they're not most secure. And you're thinking, it would be nice to have at least four walls built around me, at least a little place where I could call my own. When you're living in a tent, it's not so easy. But even the temptation for them to live in a city there, that's not what they were looking at. They were looking at an eternal city, a, a city that, that was not made with hands, built in the heavenlies by God. And that's the desire of their heart. And every time we feel constrained by this tent, by this tabernacle, as Brother Edmund has spoken in the past, should be a reminder, should be a prompting, should be a, a pushing to long for and desire that heavenly city, the permanent dwelling place. You know, if they'd settled, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had settled for a city in that land, how could God have worked his promise with the children of Israel? How could he have done all the things he did in Egypt, formed a nation? It's, it's critical. This is part of God's plan. When you see the whole picture, right? The vantage point of judging God's promise was not their lives. The vantage point is this side of the cross the vantage point is eternity when we see this is god's plan this is how he led them through egypt through and he knew all along this is the evidence of things not seen the substance of things hoped for and god is so gracious as he is to you and to me too to even within the span of our lives show us that his promises are true These verses here, 11 and 12. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. God did the miraculous. He did something amazing. This woman that was 90 years old, I think, at this point, and Abraham was 100, if I have my chronology correct, bore a child in her old age. And the name of that child was Isaac, which means laughs. He laughs. And the laughter, well, it was God's commentary, first of all, on they're doubting their imperfect faith as, as, as Abraham, the first time that, 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 that God told him this promise, not the first time, but the time he reiterated it, as he bowed down and worshiped the Lord, he said to himself, Shall truly, shall, shall uh, Isaac or Sarah bear? I, I can't remember his exact words, but it says he laughed. And then God says, No, no, his name is going to be Isaac, which means he laughs. It was God's way of showing Abraham. You know, I'm going to have the last laugh, and it's going to be a good one. It's a a laugh that you're going to all join in and and rejoice in. Same with Sarah in the tent as she's listening to those visitors, and she laughs to herself. (laughs) I'm going to have a child. I'm worn out. Shall my Lord have pleasure on me? She laughs in the tent. And a year later, this miraculous happening. Look back in your own life, brother and sister. Acknowledge the miraculous working of God. Acknowledge that He has been true. He has been faithful. He has done for you that which you did not expect and could not have foreseen. He has brought laughter to you, and, and that's a token. It's just a down payment. It's just a little bit before the eternal, before the thing, the, the eternal joy, that eternal supper. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but, having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country'm going to maybe take a little bit of a digression here, please bear with me. Last night, we finished reading uh, I finished reading. Uh, the book, The Little House on the Prairie, which is to our kids, we read kind of a chapter every night at supper. Well, I finished my food and they're still dawdling along with theirs. So you read the chapter and say, listen, it's, it's a good book for children because it's accessible. It's told from the point of a child and, and very simple language. It's an old story. It was written in the 1920s, I think, about the author's own experiences. She was growing up in the late 1800s of her parents traveling by covered wagon down from the northern US down into Oklahoma, I think it is, and and, and creating a homestead. Describes in, in detail over the course of a year as they build the log cabin, as they dig the well, and all the, the challenges, all the hard work. There's, there's just Pa and Ma, the two of them basically, and with the help of a, a few neighbors that are, are farther away, a couple miles away. I had to think, that's a picture of a pilgrim lifestyle of a wandering of just of setting up a, of, a, of a sweating uh, uh through a, a not an easy life not a subtle life packing up all your belongings in a covered wagon and going but the end of the book is what caught my attention and and uh linked to what we're reading now and that was This is a surprise, a twist at the end. After a year of building hard, things are just starting to get going. The family's getting established, that log cabin is built, it's trimmed. There's a few little things that that are treasures for the girls that they delight in. And then they get news. Your homestead's actually on Indian territory. Three miles inside Indian territory, the government's going to come and evict you. In a day's notice, maybe. And of course, the father's angry. And, and angry in a way that, that the girls have never seen. But the beautiful, the beauty of the story, the, the thing that, that sticks with me, is that after that blaze of anger, a couple hours later, Pa and Ma cheerfully decide, okay, we're going to go. We're not going to wait for them to evict us. We'll pack up and we'll go tomorrow morning. And they get everything packed and ready. They have to leave a few things behind. The well, they can't take the plow. It's too heavy. Got to put everything in the wagon. Got to get everything going. And then the little girl is uh, just wondering. And her parents cheerfully pack all their belongings, and we'll go on. And just in that last chapter of the book, there's a contrast put there, I think, tellingly by the author. As they're traveling in that covered wagon, they come across another covered wagon that's not moving no horses, just a man and a woman sitting in the front of that covered wagon with their heads down. And they ask, what's, what's the deal? What's going on? This is wide open country. There's, you don't see anyone for days and days and days. And they just say, well, someone came and stole our horses last night, took them off. And, and then, of course, Pa says, Come on up with us. We'll take you to the nearest town. You can get some more horses. You can figure out what you're going to do. And they basically say, no, no, no. We're going to, all our stuff's here in the wagon. We're going to stay here. And he just can't understand it. This is a wide open, dangerous country. You don't you know, someone might not come by for weeks. And they're sitting there. No, no, we're going to stay here because our stuff is here. And Pa, as they leave them, finally they made their decision. And he grumbles under his breath, tender feet these guys who don't have a, a clue of what the journey really involves, what homesteading really involves, and to think this, this is a picture. This is a picture of a pilgrim and a sojourning life. If after all that you labored for and worked for, boom, goes like that, vanishes in the course of a day, and you got nothing to show for it, it all went away, can you cheerfully, with good nature, pack up? The few belongings that you have and head where the Lord will direct you? Or are you going to sit? My stuff is still here. I can't move on. I'm so heartbroken. I'm, I'm incapacitated. That was, to me, the picture of the sojourner's life. The one who's looking for something better is not hung up about this stuff. I have to think of my grandparents, too. That life that they experienced in World War II, where everything went poof in the, in the space of five minutes. In the space of someone holding a gun at your doorway and saying, get out, you've got five minutes to get out. And all of their wealth, the huge amount of land that they had, the, everything has gone like that. And I think, if I understand correctly, that was actually the start of their journey, is that is when they, the start of their commitment to the Lord as, as pilgrims and as strangers in this world. If it takes that, so be it. If it takes me dwelling in a tent here below to long for an eternal city so that God will not be ashamed of me, so be it. I think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all came to that that point in their lives to realize that this is the Lord's work. It's his plan, it's what he's doing. So my brother and my sister, I would encourage you not to judge your path from the vantage point of now, from the point of the current trial and temptation, but to look with the eternal perspective on things. I'd also encourage you to look at the current trial that you're going through as God's plan for you, actually. As, as painful as that sounds. Another hymn that caught my attention last night. Hymn number 36. I just want to read a couple verses from it. Um, it's a beautiful hymn. I can't remember us singing it. Um, ever. But just maybe verse 5 and then the last three verses. And with the Lord's help, we'll close with that. Verse 5 says, Satan's host, through seeming gladness, shall go on unto endless pain. But the saints, by way of sadness, shall the marriage supper gain. Then, my soul, let nothing move thee from the straight and narrow way, even though the body weaken ere you reach your burial day. Verse 8, only in the summer season will the fruit develop best. Tribulation is the reason faith is purified and blessed. When the Christian here doth ripen by afflictions that increase, then his yearning grows for heaven and its everlasting peace. Soon, perhaps, you too may enter where the golden harps resound, where the saints the palms are bearing and the faithful ones are crowned. Therefore, cling to Christ your Savior. Daily wrestle, hope, and fight with him pierced through all the darkness into his eternal light. Last verse here. Beautiful. If he all your heart is filling, he, the hope of all your dreams, from your body will be welling of his grace the brightest beams. All the light of morning breaking ushers in a joyous day. So your lips, with fervor speaking, will declare, Christ is the way.
1: Abraham was a man that had an altar and a tent. And that's what he practiced as he went all the way from Padanaram, from Ur of the Chaldees to Padanaram, and then down to what we know is Israel today and every time he stopped he would raise the tent raise the altar worship God and then when he kept on moving he'd pack it all up and kept going he had no deep roots in any real place that he went and uh, over the last many months especially recently we see the the brevity of our lives and I went through a lot of the old photos even the other night I went through photos that someone had posted on the internet new photos of those refugees that were in the refugee camps in Italy and I recognized many more and when I see how many hundreds if not thousands, that went through these refugee camps or over the Alps into Austria um, and they went to different countries. They left behind their their parents, their families, some never to see them again. I never got to see my grandpa, grandma from either side. And it just shows that life is a journey, life Is not a place where we're just there just to settle down set our roots and then create that American dream because that dream soon comes into a shattered nightmare but what the most important thing is that you can see through our forebears our forefathers they came for religious freedom so they could worship God without persecution without oppression and I don't know I I haven't experienced that oppression but I'm just wondering where were they more happy where were they more fervent where were they more zealous I remember when I interviewed Sister um, Sigrid and Brother Willie there was an external another man I forget his name even, but he was given in the story that observed the Nazarenes in the in the uh, these liquidation camps these concentration camps and he said that I noticed that the Nazarenes were singing all the time when there was food they were singing when there was no food they were singing but they were always singing it's because what well, we heard in in Hebrews 11 these pilgrims just like we are seeking a building not made with hands not a permanent structure and a city not made with hands not permanent structures but whose maker and builder is God And that's where eventually Abraham ended up. In a city not made with hands. I don't know if you remember, some of you have got good memories too, but I remember Brother Oscar Caballero when he was from from, uh, Paraguay. He visited us in the old church and he gave us the whole story. I don't know if you remember that story of Abraham and his pilgrimage and all the, the... the, the difficulties with his sons and so forth and um, her grandsons and, and at the end of the story some of you may remember it and I'm searching for the words but something along the lines he said he led Abraham out and said Abraham we're going home His permanent home because you never had a permanent home we're going home it means Abraham you're going to lie in peace at the age of 175 something like that and these all died in faith the scripture says in Hebrews and the way as brother Eric mentioned in in, in his message was that when you look at it from the vantage point of looking back looking back how faithful god was how blessed he has planned our way are we looking to plant our feet deep-rooted that we don't move that we have our plans or we are we open to god and what he has for us even if we were to become pilgrims you look at this sorry for the going over a bit but you look what's happening now in ukraine how many millions of people were forced to leave the country three four million people their buildings were destroyed they don't have any home to come back to And that's just a small microcosm of what it really is like for those that do not follow God. If you're clinging to the things of this earth, they would dis- dissipate, uh, disappear, be destroyed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Are we ready? Do we have an eternal home in the heavens that is not made with human hands? May the Lord bless the word to him be all the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.